Greetings, friends and gentle listeners, and welcome to episode 81 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast. Coming to you from Palm Desert, California, right here in the Gulf, outdoor, natural, sporting bosom that is the Coachella Valley. Some call it the Palm Springs area, that's fine too. I'm your host, Judd Spicer, six-time award-winning writer, member of the Golf Writers Association of America, former ESPN radio co-host, 10.6 handicap. Yeah, it's ticked up a little bit since, I don't know, the last show, last couple of shows. I was trending for a while, getting back to the single digits, where I probably should be, where I believe I certainly can be. That's the game. This is the game. It's the game we've chosen. Ebbs, flows, highs, lows, not trending anymore. Can't really hit a green. Maybe more on that later, or perhaps I'll just opt to digress. <laughs> Alrighty, no show last week, and in such instances, generally try to come back with a plum, which is the case in episode 81 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast. It is a twin billing of guests. Got a couple great ones joining me this week. The general manager at Desert Willow Golf Resort, welcoming back to the program the good Mr. Derek White. Going to talk about what's going on, not just at Desert Willow as we shoulder toward the offseason, but Desert Golf in general. He's a smart guy, learned man. Always like to get Derek's impressions on the golf world, the Desert Golf world in general. And again, of course, what's going to be happening in months ahead at Desert Willow Golf Resort. Also joining me in episode 81 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast is Dr. Teresa Ann Fowler, an assistant professor of education at Concordia University of Edmonton. Look, dudes, by virtue of our inaugural season of Coachella Valley Firebirds hockey here in the desert, and regular listeners know that along with this endeavor, I've also been hosting the Fire and Ice podcast, the official podcast of the Coachella Valley Firebirds of the American Hockey League. And oh, by the way, still in the playoffs, backs against the wall, an elimination uh, elimination game rather coming up this week, down 1-2 in the series to the Colorado Eagles. Anyway, you know that I've been following the hockey season closely this year. One thing that I haven't talked about regular listeners or new listeners should know, dip into the sport and society realm with some regularity here on this show. So one thing that hasn't been discussed is the curious, vexing, and yes, complicated situation that occurred in the NHL's regular season, actually occurred, unfortunately, ad nauseum, with the NHL Pride Nights, no fewer by my count than nine different instances of teams either canceling their Pride Night warm-up sweaters altogether, or having certain players decline to wear said sweaters in warm-ups before respective games. Yeah, we're in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs right now, so we're going to hearken back a little bit to the regular season with hockey being magnified. Seemed like a fine time to have this visit with Dr. Teresa Ann Fowler. Look forward to chatting with her shortly. Of course, all this Friends, this program is made possible by a trio of excellent sponsors. That list begins with Healthy Learning, which you can find online at healthylearning.com. 
internationally renowned California-based publisher of over 5,000 titles on health, wellness, nutrition, sporting, coaching, fitness, also several hundred accompanying DVDs to go with those book titles. And those titles are, are penned by experts across the union in their respective fields. You can check it out online at healthylearning.com. The aforementioned Desert Willow Golf Resort, just down the way here in sunny Palm Desert, California. Get your tee times online for the Mountain View and Firecliff courses, respectively. While you're on there, also check out the awesome and on-site Palm Desert Golf Academy. Now, it's been a while since I've uh, been asked or hired to write a Palm Springs golf and travel piece. I was banging those out at a clip of about two a year for a long while. It's how it goes in the writing world sometimes. The gentle sway of the writing world. But just had a new one come in for the Northern California Golf Association magazine. And truth be told, leading off the golf section, not a big shocker here, but the twin courses at Desert Willow Golf Resort, deservedly so. The super sibling tandem of John and Janine Hennebry bring you some of the foremost golf photography in the entire world, you can find their vast portfolio of course of courses rather shot domestically and internationally. Find it online or the eponymous and applicable social media handles. That's the Hennebrys, H-E-N-E-B-R-Y-S dot com. And look, friends, I tell you this often. There's a lot of people out there with nice cell phones now, or maybe kind of picked up a, a cheap drone. There's a lot of people out there that think they know how to do golf photography, think that they can just get out there and snap a few pics on a sunny morning, think that they know how to work lighting and contrast. But you know what? There's only a few people in the world that do it at the level of the Hennebrys. They've been doing it at this expert level for a very, very long time. Their expert work dating back to the 80s. If you or your golf course in the market for some new, fresh, very, very high-end golf photography. I want you to go slide over, type it into the search engine, check them out at thehennebreeze.com. One more note, allow me to welcome or re-welcome the audience from Golf News Net Radio. That comes by way of our pal Ryan Ballingy at Golf News Net. His sister endeavor at Golf News Net Radio now curated about 40 different golf shows Across the country, Spicer speaking, certainly proud to be a part. I know that it's a growing, a burgeoning venture. It's getting a great and dedicated audience, as explained to me. And uh, some of the numbers I've seen certainly bear that out, including numbers on this program, a whole new slew of listeners. It is the first free-to-access 24-7 golf talk channel coming by way of iHeartRadio. Again, happy to be a part of Golf News Radio. Be sure to include that for your audio T-sheet. All that offered, all that prefaced, friends. Let's get to the visits with this week's guests. All right, friends. My first guest this week has repeatedly and unapologetically Quashed yours truly, Uncle Juddy, on the golf course multiple times over the past couple years. Along the way, along the dusty trail, is the Potter Familius of Desert Willow Golf Resort. He's captained that ship 
to record-setting round counts in 2022. Maybe we can find out what those round counts look, look like in 2023. If they're not record-setting, I know that they can't be too far behind. We re-welcome our friend Derek White, General Manager at Desert Willow Golf Resort to the Spicer Speaking Podcast. Hello, Derek. Howdy. Thanks for having me again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Always great to visit with you. And uh, I know that we got a lot to talk about goings on at Desert Willow. Uh, let me start with this, though, man. We are now shouldering. We're in the shoulder season. We are entering May. The festivals uh, have concluded. A lot of the crazy event calendar, basically, at this point here in our desert, uh, that is now done at least for a few months. Uh, we all take a breather. A lot of the snowbirds, a lot of the Canadians, Minnesotans, Washington State folks. They've all gone back to uh, their their other homes. And so now we kind of have this month of May where it's still nice out, can be a little breezy sometimes, but uh, we are not in the triple-digit temps. It's a shoulder season. I like the month of May in Palm Desert, California. What, uh, for you, is your favorite part of the desert season? You know, I think uh, while I love May... I, I think I like October, November a little bit better. But again, like you said, kind of the shoulders when maybe it's not quite as busy. Um, but yet the temperatures are a little bit more bearable outside. And then you can get outside and do some hiking, you know, be in the outdoors without just, you know, needing four gallons of water. It is a sneaky good time to be a desert local. And um, I'm right behind you with the October. Of course, we start getting into overseed season. So not as many courses are are open, but also a sneaky good time right before a lot of the snowbirds return and right before a lot of the events get going again in October. But for me, May, we can get lucky out here sometimes. Might have that just kind of 88 degree, 92 degree, go even into June. Fingers crossed, certainly, when I said that. Um for Desert Willow Golf Resort, what do you generally see historically happening in the month of May? Well, historically, you know, before COVID, we actually saw things slow down. But right now, we are we are booming. In fact, I would uh, I would dare you to try to find a tee time over the next week and a half. Certainly through the middle of the month, it's pretty jammed here at Desert Willow. Lots more group business has has started coming back to the shoulder seasons, and this is a popular time for golf groups to come to the desert. As you know, the hotel prices kind of come down a little bit. And so, you know, those men's groups or those, we actually have a large ladies group coming this weekend as well. You know, they all kind of flock to the desert during those shoulder seasons when they can afford to travel a little bit better. So we're, I'd like to say it's shoulder, but it feels more like, you know, the, the <laughs> neck or, you know, it's, it's not quite come all the way down to the shoulder yet. It's still pretty busy. We know you guys are active over there, but we don't want to dissuade listeners from making tea times or going That's to visit true. Desert Willow Golf Resort. So there's got to be a, there's got to be a few tea times. There are available. certainly some awesome. available. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And with extended daylight hours, you can play late into the evening. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. You got to light until seven thirty now. Go go get out at uh, three o'clock. Why not? Get your that's what I do with that's what I do with my boys. Right, we go out at four and we can play as many as we like, pretty much. Yeah, that's what I do at the course that I sneak out at. I'm not going to name the course right now because I don't want to get caught. But yeah, I jump out for a, for a 5.30 or 6 o'clock. I get my nine or a dozen holes in. Yeah. Uh, 
referenced a couple things, Derek. The uh, the record-setting round count of uh, 2022, or at least the fiscal year represented uh, for Desert Willow Golf Resort for 2023, or at least those block of months that you count um, for the those round numbers. You think that the record that uh, you set in the, I guess now, 26-year history of Desert Willow, is it going to be matched or neared? I, I think it's safe. Uh, you know, we are kind of seeing a plateauing of rounds um, and maybe even a little bit of a decline. Some of that here in the desert's just been from the, you know, colder than normal temperatures that we saw in January, February, and March, honestly, and the wetter season that we saw then maybe in, in 2022. So uh, certainly weather impacted. I wouldn't say that there's less interest in golf, but there were some impacts that were out of our control that that would, you know, kind of make that number Again, let the record stand. <laughs> uh, currently working on a new article for the Northern California Golf Association. Grabbed a couple quotes from our mutual pal and your colleague at Desert Willow, Brian Simpson, for that. And I basically opened up this article, Derek, by noting that the post-pandemic era continues to see a rush of golf. Um, for courses not not just limited to here in the desert, but basically the numbers around the country, weather permitting, do reflect that the numbers, while they really did peak in 21 into 22, they have still stayed strong, uh, certainly far higher than what we saw in 2019. Um, here in the desert, man, as you said, you guys have been very active. The other uh, high-end top uh, public courses around the desert I mean, in the peak months, you know, for yours truly or for folks that live out here, yeah, it can be tougher to get tee times, which I see as I'm happy. I'm happy for the golf courses that people are appreciating them, that you guys are making some bread, that everyone's staying busy. Does it surprise you that the level of play has maintained this high now pretty far removed from the peak pandemic months or years, I should say? Well, I guess, you know, the business person may want to be a little bit of surprise, but the the golfer in me, you know, I love this game. And I just kind of feel like, you know, those that finally, you know, figure it out and get out there and enjoy nature, enjoy being out there with, and conversing with people, you know, getting off your cell phone a little bit and just enjoying time with people in a game. I think it's phenomenal. I, and I think people get addicted really fast. It only takes that one good shot, right? You know, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, why can't I do that every time? And the next thing you know, you're hooked and and you're trying to find a place that's your home course. And I mean, look at private clubs. They're full with waiting lists and, yeah. and that really hasn't changed. So, you know, for somebody who loves golf like me, man, it's just exciting to see people, to people love the game. Even off the course businesses. I mean, you're seeing more and more startup. You're seeing these uh, pop stroke, you know, places that are more like um, high-end putt-putt with, you know, food and beverage, kind of top golf, but yet putting. And uh, you're seeing those places pop up in Phoenix, uh, now in the California markets. So, I mean, there's a number of off-course golf-related businesses that are booming uh, in addition to on-course. I got to say, my own answer to my own question is that I am surprised because golf as rewarding and wonderful as it can be when you find that sweet spot <laughs> or for those uh, like uh, the two of us that have an appreciation for the outdoors and like the beautiful manicuring at Desert Willow Golf Resort. Yeah, that, that keeps us coming back. But on the other side of it, golf can also be hard and time consuming and frustrating for some. 
I guess I kind of thought that after the pandemic faded, that people that dusted off their golf clubs that have been sitting in the garage for six years, people that took up the game as beginners, that they would get frustrated and stop playing again. But the numbers don't bear that out. That has not been the case. A lot of the people that came to golf or came back to golf during the pandemic have stuck with it. Yeah, and we know that, you know, it's our job as golf course operators and golf professionals to keep them engaged, you know, whether it's keeping them interested in clinics or getting them involved in uh, groups or tournaments. And, you know, the more that you can get them involved in, right, the more that they're going to want to stay in the game. But it is certainly a disposable income uh, sort of activity. And, uh, you know, a lot like skiing or other places, it's it's not always cheap either. And so, you know, finding one that fits your budget sometimes is, is a little bit of a trick, but uh, there certainly are golf courses of all shapes and sizes. So oh, there yeah. are some, something for everyone. Yeah, that's what I always tell folks uh, that come out here. There's no shortage of opportunities or styles of play, whether it's par three golf, whether it's Desert Willow Golf Resort, whether it's taking lessons, uh, whether it's going to the driving ranges, no shortage of different ways or different styles to get a club in your hand here mm-hmm. in the desert proper. Friends, you're tuning into episode 81 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast. My guest is Derek White. He's the general manager at Desert Willow Golf Resort. You can check it out for your tee times online at DesertWillow.com, Mountain View, and Firecliff courses, respectively, the awesome 36 holes at DW. While you're on there, let me remind you, as always, check out the awesome and on-site Palm Desert Golf Academy. Let's segue to the Palm Desert Golf Academy, along with the round counts that have remained high. Paul Busey and the Palm Desert Golf Academy. Man, I check out these golf schools uh, and all the golf clinics, the daily golf clinics, um, the short game schools. I mean, you guys have really upped the menu, I would say, in recent years of all the different opportunities. And I noticed that, like, those signature golf schools, especially the two-day schools, Derek, that those are going well into June now. Yeah, I mean, they're phenomenal programs. Uh, I couldn't speak more highly of Paul and the team. Um, They've put together a product that, you know, everyone would enjoy. They're going to have takeaways from that, whether it be some video of themselves um, some tips and things. They have some software that allows them to 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 take that lesson to the next level, to be able to communicate with those um, their their clientele off course. You know, so if they want to upload a video, now the pro can speak with them about that. There's just so many great things um, that's out there. And then you know we we also integrate into those golf schools a lot of times lunch at Desert Willow, which certainly I would say is it's a great place to have out there on the patio have lunch. And so, you know, it's just a it's just a great product that they're offering currently. Yeah, team does a phenomenal job. Uh, along with those uh, two day signature schools, uh, the daily golf clinics, those are something I mean, it doesn't just cease because the season starts to turn. That is something else that you guys continue to offer uh, well into the summer months. Absolutely. And those are fun, right? If you just want to work on a segment of your game, but you, you know, you want to be around other people and kind of have some camaraderie and then there can be some competition amongst others, whether it's short game or full swing. Uh, those clinics are a fun way to do that. Uh, we also have, of course, like PJ junior league, right? The juniors are starting a number of their programs. And so while it's shoulder season, then that affords courses, the, the ability to allow juniors to have a little bit more access and, and of course, PJ Junior League's got to be one of the greatest programs they've they've created for juniors, creating team golf environment for those kids, giving them jerseys and, and letting them just have a great old time. Uh, and so Desert Willow is happy to have our team back again. I, 
I think we were champions last year. We'll we'll see how that goes this year. It's always tough to repeat, right? People are always coming for you, uh, but we'll certainly do our best to uh, to to kind of stay on top of the hill, so to speak. You mentioned the uh, the dining at Desert Willow, uh, the terrace restaurant overlooking holes number nine and eighteen, respectively, on the Firecliff course. I've gone to Desert Willow over my lifetime in the past dozen plus years, Derek probably as many times just to eat or take guests to go sit outside there as I have to go play golf. And that's no joke. I mean, my mom, she, I mean, she'd be dangerous with the golf club in her. She wouldn't know what to do with the golf club in her hand, but uh, she's been to Desert Willow probably 50 times just to go take friends to drink and dine or have, or have lunch out there. I also know that a popular part of the facility, I did an article about this. Well, was maybe, six, nine months ago about weddings and golf course and weddings. That also uh, remains very popular, if not a growing business for you guys, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, we've <laughs> we've seen record levels of weddings, you know, October, November. Um, those are probably the busiest wedding months of the year. Uh, but those weddings have started back up again. We actually saw them all the way through season this year, which is uh, a bit abnormal, but it's great to see that happen. And then usually during the concert weekends, which we all know just, you know, just came and went here in the desert through the month of April, then we actually end up shift over to hosting a lot of uh, local high school proms. Uh, but now that we're out of those concert weekends, we're going to be back to weddings most of the weekends all the way through probably the middle of June. So lots of weddings, a great venue, uh, lots of options. You can have your ceremony out on, on the grass, out on our event lawn, or you can have it out on a terrace. Uh, you know, there's lots of options for you here at desert willow depending on what you want yeah and a romantic place to be sure let's take it back to the golf course a couple of events that i want to touch upon before i let you go this upcoming weekend that being the first weekend in may a little disappointed i didn't get the invite from this one from grant fear um had a lot of pleasure of spending time with grant as he's been calling their Coachella Valley Firebirds games this year did an article on grant but I know that his tournament the grant beer celebrity invitational comes to desert willow this weekend and I know when they put out the list man of like who's gonna appear and celebrities I mean sometimes that happens sometimes those people kind of pull out because of other commitments or whatever but the list that he's got there's some pretty awesome ones that are going to be at desert willow I mean the one that the ones I should say that really jumped out to me. Bo Jackson is in this celebrity field. And Marcus Allen, that was my football hero growing up, number 32 for the Raiders. Going to get out there with Bo Jackson, man? So uh, I've gotten to meet Bo before. I, he had done his own tournament out here once before. It was great. And, you know, you mentioned both of them. And, of course, they played in the same backfield, right? We all kind of remember that back in the day. And it was – I know Bo would come in kind of midway because of baseball and different things. But um, – <laughs> Anyway, they were both dynamic and both amazing. And, and yeah, some of those types of names, when you get to kind of rub elbows and rub, you know, uh, that, that's fantastic. And we get that a lot here at Desert Willow, which is which is wonderful. Um, so, but, yeah, he's got quite a list. I would have thought you would have fit in there very well. I'm not quite yeah. sure. Maybe the invite just is, still hasn't arrived yet. I'm not quite sure. No, me and Vince Coleman, we could do some damage together. I noticed he was on the list. Kim Alexis, I wouldn't mind playing with Kim. Still very, very lovely. Uh, who else did I see? Oh, Richard Karn. Always love Richard Karn. Curb Your Enthusiasm and many, many more movies and TV shows. But Bo Jackson, I mean, as much as I love Marcus Allen, I want to. I probably want to play with Bo Jackson. Man, have you seen? Have you seen him swing a club? 
Yeah, yeah, I've seen him swing a club. Um, he, you know, he's an amazing athlete. What are you going to say? Like, I yeah. mean, he can do anything he wants, right? Bo knows. He knows. I've seen, uh, I think, the most recent documentary where he was doing archery, and he seemed as prolific with that as he did with his pro sporting endeavors, but never seen him swing a, a golf club. I guess I just have to figure that, you know, probably a little wear and tear, injuries aside, looks a little bigger now than he did in his prime. But uh, yeah. I can imagine that he could put club face on the ball. Yeah. I don't know if the hip causes any restriction yeah. or not, but, you know, um, he's certainly an athlete, one of a kind, there's no doubt. You see him out there this weekend, maybe saddle up to him. Give him a few tips. See how okay. that goes. Yeah. See absolutely. how that goes over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lastly, we've got a big one coming up at the end of May during Memorial Day weekend, the City of Palm Desert Championship comprising – Two player teams. It's Saturday and Sunday. I want to say it's the 27th and 28th of May. Look at the Desert Willow website this morning. It appeared that there were still a few spots available to compete in that event. You guys have done that, I think, three years now, Derek? Yeah, maybe even more. But more? Four years, maybe? Yeah, something along yeah. that lines. But, you know, um, it's a fantastic event. Like you said, it's we like it because it's a city championship. That's not an individual stroke play event. You know, it's something you get to play with a partner in it's multiple days, great value. You get a practice round, you know, you get some meals um, put in there. We always like to headline it too, with some great raffle prizes. And, and those aren't for the winners of the tournament or the ones who are the lowest score. Everybody gets a shot at those. And uh, we think that that's a great way to, to keep people coming back as well, you know, offer great experiences here in the desert, whether it be, you know, Red Jeep tours or BMW events we've done in the past, you know, lots of fun things to get people engaged inside the valley, uh, more than just golf as well, right? We're all one big tourism economy here and, and we want the whole valley to succeed. So we always look for those types of partnerships. All right. Well, maybe I'll be looking for a partnership, the city of Palm Desert Championship. I don't know if there's a Maybe a couple open spots left come the end of the month, and a, a, a team media, maybe a, a media team can be can be put together and make a run at that title. We'll see. We'll see if there's any spots left. Certainly right. don't want to take bread off anyone's plate or take up anyone else's spot, but I might knock on your door, say around the 25th. Say, okay. hey man, I still see that splash page on the website. Looks like you got a couple spots open. Well, I know you know how to get a hold of us, so we'll we'll talk <laughs> with you then, no doubt. I'm also good at planting seeds to get back on your golf course. That was probably as subtle as I can get with that. But. And then you can practice for the next media melee, right? And then we'll... You'll squash me again. Another round out there. Yeah, two, I think two drubbings in that event. Fear not, I'll be bugging you about that too late spring as we get into the summer months. Derek White, friends, General Manager at Desert Willow Golf Resort. I'll be seeing you soon, my friend. Thanks for your time. Always a pleasure. Likewise, and we will see you then. Take care. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right, folks. Going from putt to puck on episode 81 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast. As I preface, as I open this episode with, yeah, talked uh, a lot of hockey throughout um, this season, what with the introduction of our Coachella Valley Firebirds and a lot to celebrate with our fun new Akershire Arena, our shiny new debut American Hockey League team, now in the second round of the playoffs. It's been an exciting year 
Something I haven't touched upon, not quite as shiny, more confusing, more confounding, more vexing, is what's been going on in the National Hockey League this season, namely as it applies to NHL Pride Nights and the NHL sweaters therein. It's been something that, uh, to be honest, has really, really bothered me and something I wanted to flesh out a little bit more here to help us do so. We're going north of the border this week, friends. She is an assistant professor of education at Concordia University of Edmond. Welcome, uh, Dr. Teresa Ann Fowler, the Spicer Speaking Podcast. Hello, Teresa. Hi, Judd. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, before we get into the Pride Nights and the sweaters or the lack of sweaters that uh, some players refuse to wear in their NHL warm-ups throughout the course of this year, Let's get into uh, some of uh, your research. I know that you've done ample work. You've testified before the House of Commons in Canada on multiple occasions. Uh, a lot of writing on the subject matter of hockey culture and hockey masculinity can maybe educate our uh, listeners a little bit really on what you've done, what you focused on for the subject. Sure. Um, so my research has sort of spanned within the hockey community from uh, what we call here the U18 elite kiddos, right? So the ones still in high school, um, up to players playing in the NHL, and those wanting to play in the NHL, as well as retired NHL players. Uh, I also, um, last year, had the privilege of working with a university ice hockey team, men's ice hockey team, and we spent the year together. I would go to their practices, their games, and then once a month we would engage in conversations, just talking about things in hockey culture, talking about things that these university athletes were facing. And that project spun out of my previous project with a research team where we interviewed 21 professional men's ice hockey players. And those players, it was, it was just it really struck us how at the end of every interview, we always have researchers always have a question. Is there anything else you would like to share? So participants have an opportunity. And nearly every single player that we interviewed just thanked us for giving us the time to talk. Mm. Because in men's ice hockey, in these elite level leagues, there isn't time for conversations. They cannot talk about, for example, the importance of Pride Night. They cannot talk about the importance of not using homophobic language. It's just a part of the culture. And to speak out against it risks your own way of life, right? And, you know, and that's sort of the paradox is these men in these professional leagues are overpaid. You know, I think we can all agree on that. But at the same time, they have to provide for their families. They have to provide for their way of life. So if they speak out against something, they risk their way of life. And for example, one of the players who was with us in um, a research study was an active NHL player. And he also was actively pushing against homophobia, pushing against racism. And after that sort of you know, period of time with his career, he was traded to another team. Then he was traded out of the NHL. Oh. So whether or not it was because of his activism, but it just, it's, it's striking how someone is a good player 
doing their job, but then speaking out against these institutional um, movements to try and make hockey more inclusive gets pushed out of hockey. And of course, that not limited to professional hockey. Uh, we see no. it across all the major uh, sports uh, with men or women. I mean, you could just as easily reference Colin Kaepernick, uh, love him or hate him, what happened to him with yep. uh, his uh, social views and stances and essentially blackball and uh, kick out of the NFL despite uh, making it to the Super Bowl and then never, exactly. never playing again, all for the very same reasons that you just referenced. Anything else from uh, your research from that project in particular as it pertains to the subject of, since we're going to be talking about Pride Nights, I mean, let's just mm -hmm. specify homophobia and uh, some mm -hmm. of the uh, some of the, the fears perhaps that these players had about speaking out or sharing their views. Well, I think really the fear comes from that code of silence, the locker room culture, the fact that the game is what matters more than the individual. Um, like, for example, when I worked with the university team, we walked through, um, we have in Canada now, we're adopting uh, safe practices of safe sport. So there's a list of, um, I don't know what you would call them, but maltreatment in sports. So a list of different abuses. And when we worked through them, what was striking to me was the team could not come up with individual violations of human rights, but they could easily come up with team violations of human rights. So there really isn't much room for an individual on the team sport. And so therefore, if you are, say, an individual who is gay, you're a gay man playing hockey, there's no room for that. And even in our study, we did have one um, player who was gay, but not while he was playing hockey. And it was for fear of disrupting the norms in the locker room. It was the fear of taking away from the game. But it really brings into question what is normal with respect to our sexuality, right? We assume that everyone's in heterosexual relationships. So therefore anything otherwise is not normal. And that's just not the case, right? Historically, if you look back at relationships, you know, homo, homo, homo relationships, or forget that part, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, same, same sex relationships have historically been in our lifetime and before our lifetime for generations, except why now is it inappropriate? And it really brings up that question, especially with these individual players now saying, no, I'm not wearing that jersey. I have my own individual rights. How does that fit within the team? Because doesn't your perhaps teammate who is gay, does he also not have the right to come to come out, quote, come out as gay? Right. You know, let's uh, let's delve into the situation uh, with the NFL uh, and HL, pardon me, with the, the Pride Nights this year. By my count, instances, uh, nine different instances across the NHL season. Uh, including three teams that had Pride Night jerseys that they donned last year in their warm-ups before games. And then those jerseys are ultimately uh, auctioned off, uh, generally for a charitable or, or a good cause, if not always the case. Three teams that did so last year, opting not to do so this year. That is part of the nine that I count. And among that nine, Several players, uh, for a few different reasons that we're referencing, as you, as you said, the individuals opting not to do it, um, whether it be because of 
religious beliefs. Uh, I think that there were three instances in the NHL where the players would not down the pride jerseys um, supporting LGBTQ community. Uh, and then there were six instances of Russian players either mm -hmm. speaking out toward their religion or potential fear of Russian retribution in their homeland. We'll get to that a little bit more specifically in just a moment here. Nine instances is a lot. It was a mm -hmm. story that, uh, to me, Teresa, it got its due attention. Uh, the Athletic, in particular, did an excellent job staying with this issue throughout the year. Broadly speaking, what were your impressions of this, these players' decisions not to wear the jerseys or the teams opting to cancel those Pride Night warm-up jerseys? I think, you know, it's, it's very um, frustrating. It's makes you very angry because there was a lot of movement towards making hockey more inclusive like the brand hockey is for everyone is not true we know that's not true you only need to do an eye test about the players who are on the ice majority of them are white right and and but with respect to pride nights it's it's frustrating in a sense because so for example if you look at what also is happening in the united states with respect to women's reproductive rights there's been a lot of movement to ensure that women have choice whereas now they're being clogged back and we see that also happening in hockey and it speaks to i think a bigger issue that often is not talked about in hockey and that's whiteness and that's the power of white men the power of white institutions and in whiteness research that's exactly what happens when it is threatened when the culture of power is threatened it finds ways to hold on tighter and so therefore if they feel threatened by us bringing in pride nights by bringing in the fact that sexuality is on a continuum it's not just man on woman it's multiple it threatens the whole idea and the foundation of what that social institution of the national hockey league is founded on and that is scary for those people who are in power however if you think about the other side statistically you cannot tell me that there isn't an openly gay man play or there isn't a gay person playing hockey there is and so if you imagine how that person feels being a part of one of these teams that says no we're going to cancel our pride night because there's just too much controversy over it so then i then am again internalizing the fact that my sexuality is not normal i am not welcome here and I have to put up a front like can you imagine hanging out with these guys who you call your brothers there are comrades you know you're talking about your weekends the things you're doing and this person cannot say a thing they cannot talk about anything and it speaks about also what would happen if not that you see this in the NHL but like in the NFL where they wear the camo jerseys right what if I refuse to wear a camo jersey you know can you imagine the uproar that would bring right because that camo jersey is reinforcing that same social institution that prides itself on being in control and in power and so having these moments pop up is really troubling because there's you know potential to be more so unless the nhl or someone steps in and just says hey just stop being homophobic enough put on the jersey it doesn't mean you support someone else's 
you know, sexual values. It just means you support a community. It means you support a community. And like you said, the funds raised from those events go to supporting LGBTQ organizations. And that also will have an impact as well on those folks. NHL has had a slogan, hockey is for everybody. (laughs) But that doesn't seem to ring particularly true in this instances, and in, in these instances, rather, Teresa, um, it just rings false. And I would concur with you that it does come across as fearful and exclusive, not in, not inclusive, and really just homophobic. That's the message that I take away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's definitely homophobic. Uh, friends, you're tuning into episode 81 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast. Dr. Teresa Ann Fowler. Assistant Professor of Education at Concordia University of Edmonton is my guest. Let's get into some of the the specifics a little bit more of the refusal to wear these jerseys. In some instances, uh, Teresa, there really were no reasons given. uh, In some, that there were some very specific reasons given. Let's go to the Stahl brothers uh, for the Florida Panthers. uh, And then you can also reference uh, San Jose Sharks back at goaltender James Reimer, all of whom took religious stances, saying that basically supporting the LGBT community was not in line with their Christian beliefs. And this is the part that it, we can, I don't want to get too deep down the rabbit hole with religion, but mm-hmm. this this really pisses me off, to be candid, in that, I mean, I stay away from organized religion. Um, I'm a proud Jewish person myself, but I'm still not a religious person because a lot of the religion that I see is, you know, the, the message is accepting of your neighbor, loving your brother, mm-hmm. understanding the the other person. But when when you have these objections of people like this, it's saying, well, I'm only accepting of my neighbor or loving of my brother if they're just like me, mm-hmm. if their decisions are just like my own. Mm-hmm. These uh these objections to participate and wear these jerseys for these religious reasons. These ring particularly false for me in these instances. Your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know if you saw, um, I think it was a few weeks ago, Brian Burke was on Hockey Night in Canada. And Brian Burke um, was one of the folks who was really instrumental in the Pride Nights and the You Can Play project because of his son, Brandon, coming out as being openly gay. And Brian Burke basically called, like you said, that's bullshit, right? You know, like he said, I'm a Catholic. It doesn't change my religious, you know, values. It doesn't change his relationship with Jesus or whoever it is he worships as a higher power. It supports a community. And like you said, isn't that in essence what religion is supposed to do? But then, like you said, though, you know, when you said my neighbor, I like you if you're my neighbor. That's what the NHL has done is it's created a very exclusive neighborhood that is only accepted if you play by these rules. And these rules have been established to make the game good, to profit a game, the game winning above everything else. So as long as our neighborhood, as long as we're all getting along, as long as we're all 
you know, not gay, as long as we're all heterosexual, you know, let's say as long as we're all white, as long as we're all this, then we're fine. But as soon as you step out of that, that's when the trouble comes in because now you're disrupting the neighborhood, right? You get into the NIMBY syndrome, well, not in my backyard. And that's why you see perhaps players get traded and you see players get traded when they don't necessarily fit within the culture of a team. Like we know that happens. However, when a player gets traded due to their sexuality, you can't even make a human rights complaint against that Mm -hmm. because you can't even come out as gay because your neighborhood is not accepted. There's no safe place for you. And so I think going along the religious standpoint, it's a cop-out. It's just saying, well, because I'm this, I don't agree with that. So then do you adhere to every single rule that your religion abides by, right? Like we know that's not true. We know Catholic priests are one of the worst, right? Look at our own Indian residential school system here in Canada. Religion is not a safe space for anyone. So if you go back into that to say, my beliefs don't let me support this, well, what does it also, you know what I mean? Like what else does it restrict you from? Let's get to the other instances, and these are a little more tricky because they all involve Russian players. A little bit of the background on Russia. Russian players represent about 6% uh, of the National Hockey League rostering, which is not a a small number necessarily. Hearkening back to 2022, Vladimir Putin and the Russian government, they essentially doubled down on their uh, anti-gay and human rights views with uh, what is referred to kind of colloquially as the, the gay propaganda bill, incredibly restrictive on on gay rights uh, in Russia, where you basically banned media, movies, books, advertisements uh, of the LGBT uh, nature community, also prohibits basically speaking out or praising, individuals praising the LGBTQ community. Uh, there are monetary fines that come with that, but to me, that's all very, very vague about what kind of punishment or retribution individuals or perhaps professional hockey players could expect if they participate by wearing a Pride Night jersey and thereby supporting uh, the LGBTQ community in doing so. We did see an instance last summer where Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild, he had a lot of hurdles We don't know the entire story necessarily of why he struggled to get back to Minnesota from going back home to Russia in the summer, but he did face several encumbrances. And yes, the Minnesota Wild in the year previous did have the Pride Night jerseys. For these players, and I I think that their NHL teammates have tried to be empathetic as possible and understanding that they could be in serious danger. We talked about Mm -hmm. players, Teresa, losing their livelihoods, losing their Mm -hmm. career. Well, for the Russian players, I don't know. Perhaps they could lose even more. Your your thoughts on on their decisions not to wear the jerseys because of potentially this retribution from their home country? Yeah, I think you're right that that is definitely a little bit more tricky. But I also think that if we take take step outside of the NHL, right? Those players from Russia playing in the NHL could arguably be top players from Russia, let's say. So what happens when the Olympics come around? Do you mean to tell me then that Russia would bench 
their top players (laughs) because do you know what I mean? Because they wore a pride Jersey while they were playing for an American team or a Canadian team. So I think we really need to tease out some of those things and sure. I'm, you know, I don't doubt that the threats are not that are real, but then what about those folks who live in these countries who cannot hold hands with their loved one, who risk death if they kiss their loved one in public. To me, that risk is a lot greater. And I also think about, you know, precedence in sport. If we look at, say, Formula One, for example, when, um, and I, you might know the name of the driver, I don't, but or the team, but there was a Russian driver. And when the Ukraine war started, that team let go of the Russian driver. I don't want to have anything to do with Russians anymore, apparently was sort of what was said. And there weren't any repercussions to Formula One. It still is going, you know what I mean? So, right. so I think there has been precedent set with respect to Russia's involvement in sport. And so, but with respect to these players, and folks will push back, well, let sport be sport. It's not a place site of politics. And if that's the case, then why are we having national anthems? Why in the United States, for example, do you have military nights? You know, to me, that's politics. You can't say it's not politics. And what these folks have an opportunity is to use their platform to say, hey, it's changed. It's not hurting anybody. Just let us speak up for these people. We're not trying to influence politics in another country. We're just trying to be a supportive person, trying to be that lighthouse of hope to say that maybe, maybe one day in Russia, it will be okay to be gay if we stand up for it. And again, I I just really question how, how big the repercussions would be for these players to wear the jersey and i wind it down with this teresa uh, the nhl valued uh, annually at uh, over four <clears throat> pardon me billion dollars it's big uh, global business to be sure as we recently saw with say like bud light and uh, what happened uh, with the transgender representative did not go well for bud light uh, there were some analysts that say you know that the incentive for big business to take any stance to speak out uh, it's just it's not worth it. It's just it's just going to hurt your business. At the same time, I look and this is so interesting to me because the NHL and the NBA have the crossover, the, the concurrent seasons and the NBA is wonderful. There is no league better in the world when it comes to activism, when it comes mm-hmm. to social issues. But the National Hockey League and Commissioner Gary Bettman and a lot of the team reactions to this issue over the course of the season grade of a D minus. They totally Uh flopped. And referencing Colin Kaepernick yet again, teams should have learned. Sports Uh leagues should have learned at this point that, you know what, take a stance, be strong, have an opinion, and don't just float around the ether like this because it, it makes you come off as disorganized. In this particular instance with the NHL bigoted, Uh I feel, and you should, you Again, a $4 billion business, your leader, the face of of your enterprise and the league and the teams itself, you should have a stance and an answer ready from these arise. And the National Hockey League did not this year. 
moving mm-hmm. forward into next year, what do you foresee, whether it be something sanguine, whether it be a, a hopeful reaction for when this arises again, or perhaps it's just getting even worse? I don't know. What do you see, Teresa? Well, I I think there's two strands, right? There's hope. You know, I have hope that um, there will be more positive movement. And with respect to, you know, these sponsorship like Bud Lights and things like that, they also have power. And we saw that in Canada this year when Hockey Canada was put to the fire with respect to the sexual assault allegations, when funders pulled their funding to said, hey, this is not cool. Until you get your ducks in a row, we are not going to give you funding. So they do have power and they do have an ability to take a stand. And I think if more teams do take a stand, they'll realize that people are, we're waiting for you, right? Like that's a very small percentage of folks that are still hanging on to these neoconservative, these old traditional values that society has changed. Ever since we put a same-sex couple on a Cheerios box, We've been having this conversation. And if teams recognize that there is a real thirst for this change, look at the generations coming behind us. For them, these are not up for debate, right? Transgender kids, you can use a bathroom. If you got to go pee, just go. It doesn't matter, right? So I think when teams recognize that or leaders in these positions let go, but again, it comes back to power. And it comes back to, are they willing to let go of power? And that's why I think, like we were talking about before, the the Coachella Firebirds, correct? Yep, Firebirds, um, yeah. Really, that presents a really good opportunity to kind of step into this with a fresh look, to step into this with a very open view of what it means to be in a relationship with someone. There's an Indian scholar in Arundhati Roy. She write, wrote a very poignant essay about um, COVID-19. And she asked, what do we bring with us after all of this? So what can this team do with respect to letting go of all of that baggage? Let go of the homophobia. Let go of the racism. Put pride tape on your sticks every night. Wear a pride jersey every night. There's a real opportunity to make a difference and make a change. And folks will be supportive of that. I, we have to question why are people still hanging on to these old forms of power and not letting go? That is sort of the bigger question that we need to address with Gary Bettman and all of those folks. I appreciate you referencing our CV Firebirds had their pride night during Pride Weekend. That was uh, just right after the new year. And those jerseys that they wore and auctioned off, I still see them at Akershire Arena on a game-by-game basis. Certainly proud of what we did out here in the desert. And additionally, thankful for your time Mm -hmm. today. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, Good luck to your Oilers in the uh, (laughs) playoffs. But if you need a new team, you can always come and, and cheer on the CB Firebirds of the American Hockey League, Teresa. Oh, you bet. Yeah, we're our our end goal up here. I I will say not for all Canadians, but I think we're hoping for a Maple Leaf versus Oiler final. <laughs> that way, we can finally get the cup back here in Canada. Um, but our secret team is Seattle Kraken. So um, yeah, so we definitely are looking forward to perhaps coming down and watching some of the Firebirds games. 
Okay. Well, I know that uh, you're always welcome at Acrisure Arena. We look forward to uh, seeing you down here. Until then, a real pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time, Teresa. No, thanks, Jed. And thanks for having this conversation. All right, dudes. Readily enjoyed that visit with Dr. Teresa Ann Fowler, assistant professor of education. She had edu- uh, educated me, I think all of us. Uh, she works at Concordia University of Edmonton. It's going to wrap it up for this week's episode, episode 81 of the Spicer Speaking Podcast. So appreciative of your time, your interest, your ears, your continued support of this endeavor along with the appreciation for Dr. Fowler's time. Also want to thank Derek White for his time this week. Derek, the general manager, of course, at Desert Willow Golf Resort. Of course, none of this would be possible, friends, without three super sponsors of this program. That list begins weekly with Healthy Learning at healthylearning.com. Internationally renowned, California-based publisher of thousands of titles ranging from sport, wellness, coaching, nature, nutrition, also several hundred accompanying DVDs to go with those book titles, many of which are penned by foremost experts in their respective fields across the country. Check that out at healthylearning.com. Desert Willow Golf Resort, again, enjoyed that time with Derek White, the general manager over at DW. For your tea times, and this is a great, great time, by the way, to make those tea times as we shoulder into May. There's been an exodus. The season is turning. The festivals have concluded and so forth. But it's still pretty darn nice out there. Great time to go play some golf in the Coachella Valley, specifically at Desert Willow Golf Resort. Tea times for the Firecliff and Mountain View courses can be made online at desertwillow.com. The stellar sibling photography tandem of John and Janine Hennebry find their vast portfolio of works shot around the country, around the world, online at thehennebrys, H-E-N-E-B-R-Y-S.com. While you're on there, also maybe give a follow to the applicable social media handles, Instagram, Facebook. You can catch up with what the Hennebrys are shooting right now, real time. They update those pages readily again. Follow them, find them at thehennebrys.com. Everybody have a great week out there. Thank you again so much for tuning in. You be safe and be well.